Thanks, Jamal. Yeah, you can do that. It's good stuff. So appreciate Jamal using his gifts. And I uh, want to invite Jamal to stay up here. Tony, if you could come up here. And then Mr. Pace, if you could come up here, that would be great. Children, if you're interested, and, and please, uh, please come up here. You're going to have a seat right here. If we have any children that are interested in this. There's like, th- well, Dave, Dave Stein is a child at heart. Are there any children that want to come up here? You're, this is going to be... F- Whoa, don't, don't, you don't, okay, so this is going to be a great time, okay, so we're just going to do this, so here we go, all right, so this is, uh, this is, this is, all right, there we go, thanks, buddy, all right, come on up here, man, so that'll be good, come on out all the way up here, all the way up here, love the hat, what is your name? Owen. Owen, great having you here, so, so, Owen, what are some rules that you have in your life that that is this your brother or is this a friend of yours? No, it's not a friend. So he's not your brother and he's not your, what is your name? John. John. That is one of the greatest names of all time. All right. So great having you here. So, so you, okay, now, okay. So, so there we go. So thanks, ma'am. Owen and John, thanks you guys. What are your, what are your names? Ashley and Genesis, Genesis, I've met you before, so it's great having you here. So I'm going to ask you guys some questions, guys and girls questions, okay, and we'll explain what's about to happen, okay? So what are some rules that you have in your life that your parents give you? What are some rules that you have? Mm, Candy. No candy, that they want to give you candy, or you can't have more candy? More candy. You, you, You can't have more candy, is that right? So that's a rule? Is that right? Okay, that works. What do you, what is your, how are you, little one? You're okay? I'm not going to embarrass you. Remind me your name again. There we go. Okay, so it's good. So this is, this is your, great, Aaliyah, Aaliyah, good to see you. So, all right, so Owen, what rules do you have in your life? Make sure, make sure you listen to God. Make, wow, you just went really deep. Make sure and listen to God. That's a really good thing. And that's, believe it or not, that's what we're going to be talking about today. Make sure to listen to God. John, do you have any rules in your life that your parents give you? Like you need to make your bed or anything like that? You have to make your bed. What happens if you don't make your bed? Do you get into some trouble? Yeah, you get into some trouble. Do you get, uh, what does that mean? Like, like you don't, this is, John, I need you to help me just a little bit. Okay, just a little bit. Do you, have a, do you get an allowance? No, don't get an allowance. Do you get, in, so when you get in trouble, what, what happens to you when you get, in, you just sort of get put in time out maybe? Okay, we'll go with timeout, okay? And that's going to work, okay? So here we go. We're d- going to do what's called the lunchtime limbo, okay? Michael doesn't know this, but he is our limbo participant, all right? So here we go. All right, so every, come on, slide up here, guys. Slide up here, all right? So, so Michael, this is our limbo poll, obviously. Now, we need to make this, this will make sense. So you guys have different rules in your life, right? Some of those rules you like, is that, is that correct? Okay, there are some that you like, there are some that you don't like. And when we don't do something, we end up getting perhaps in trouble with our parents. Is that correct? Well, what happened in the Galatian church was that there were a bunch of rules that some people thought they needed to keep doing, all right? And so our example, we're going to use Michael as our example. So Michael, this is where the poll is now. You get to do the limbo thing. Come on through. You guys don't raise it for the guy. That was... That didn't work. Okay, so, so, now, so now we're going to drop it down just a little bit, just a little bit. Okay, so Owen, you gave a rule earlier of 
listening to God, right? So that's a rule. So, so Michael, we dropped the pole down just a little bit. You need to listen to God. Go underneath the pole. Thank you very much. Okay, so there we go. All right. Then Genesis, drop it down just a little bit more because here's another rule. Genesis gave the rule of not eating too much candy. Michael, good luck. Okay. All right. So there we go. All right. Now drop it down another one. Let's, let's get serious, please. There we go. Okay. We're going there. Okay. So then John gave the rule of making your bed. Michael, try this one. All right. So now here's what, so we're done. So Michael, you got, give it up for these guys. All right. So did a great job. You guys are done. You just illustrated what I wanted to have happen. So put that over here. So now you talked about, John, you talked about going into timeout. No, Michael, you're not done. These two are done. You're not done. Okay, so you didn't make it under the limbo, the limbo pole there, right? So John talked about this. When he didn't do a certain rule, he got in what's called timeout. So, Michael, we're going to take you back here. You now need to face the wall, and you're in timeout. All right, so, so he's in timeout, right? Is that... now? Let me ask you this. Can you still go over there and talk to him? No. Why not? Because, because in time out, you cannot talk to anyone because, he's, because, because he did not make his bed and he has to make his bed. Okay, so he has to make his bed to make this right, okay? So here's, here's what happens, though. All right? So Jesus, now remember the limbo pole, right? The limbo thing that we just did? Jesus gives access to everybody to go under the limbo pole because he took care of fulfilling every rule possible. But there was a group of people in the church in Galatia that said there are certain rules, and if you don't do those rules, for example, and I'm making light of this, not making your bed, you get put in time out. So the Galatian church had this issue going on. Is it a very nice thing to put a guy in timeout and leave him there and just treat him horribly? No. no, not at all, right? So Jesus says, listen, we're all given freedom because I've taken care of the limbo pole and we can walk through this, okay? Does that make sense? We're good with that? You'll never forget this, will you? Do you think Michael will ever forget this? Probably not. So there you have it. So go have a seat, all right? So thank you guys for helping out. Michael, you're done, buddy. You're good. Thanks, man. That was fun. So here's what happens. And Rob touched on this a little bit last week. The Judaizers had been very successful in eliminating fellowship. That's what happened. The Judaizers came in and they, they started stirring things up and, and Jesus Christ made it possible so that everybody could get through and under the limbo pole. The reason being is because he took care of everything. But what happens is, that, and, in, and oftentimes in all of our lives, there are different things that happen that we say, well, it needs to be Jesus and someone else. It, needs to, it just can't be that Jesus took care of everything. And so we put this liberal pole into place, and we do this in a variety of ways. And we say, well, you need to do this and this and this. And when people don't do this, and you saw Michael, I mean, once he was eliminated, we took him and got rid of him. We put him off to the side. And what happens is that fellowship is broken. Fellowship stops happening. Ask any person who, ask any junior high student or high school student, 
What is the one thing that they're most anxious about when it comes to going to a new school? And I guarantee your answer, the answer you give, they give you will be a little bit different than what you anticipated. We want to believe that they're going to be nervous about a new class, but yet they're probably not going to be too nervous about that because they know over time they're going to learn the information. Perhaps they're, they're concerned about, about whether or not they're going to make it to class on time. They don't know where their classes are, but you know what? Orientation week will take care of that, the orientation that they get about the school. In my 22 years of doing student ministry, there was one place that caused more anxiety for new people, for new junior high students and new high school students than any other place on the campus. And it was this. Where am I going to sit during lunchtime? It petrified students. It petrified them because they didn't know if they, if they sit at this particular table, is anybody going to be there? They didn't know if they sit at this particular table, if the people that are there, if they're going to be allowed to be there. My lunchtime buddies in high school were Scott Melsky, Mike Manning, Jeff Stapleton, and Todd Craig. We sat at the same table. I can picture it just, just like it happened yesterday. And at that table, that was our table. And there'd be other people who would pop in and every now and then, but everybody knew that this was our table. And we also knew this, that there was another table with the really cool kids that if we dared venture onto that table, we're in a lot of trouble. Jesus Christ is one who brings unity. Jesus Christ is one who, who breaks down barriers and he says, I want everybody in. Rob addressed the issue last week in his message. And so often when that issue doesn't get addressed properly, it causes great harm. You heard every one of these children when I said, should we just leave Michael over here and leave him alone? And they all said, no, that's not fair. That's not kind. Jesus Christ doesn't want people in time out. Jesus Christ, and by the way, some of your parents are going, great, now we're not going to have any discipline at our house. There's a time and a place for those rules. I get it. But when, what I'm talking about is when we're talking about Jesus Christ and the impact that he makes on our lives, he gives access to everyone, and we're going to talk about that. But when we think that a certain person is beyond God's reach, we're breaking fellowship. I invite you in your Bibles to go to Galatians chapter 2, and we're going to start, it, start by looking at verse 11 and going all the way down to 21. Listen to what this says. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his, hypo in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not setting in, acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too, 
have put our faith in Jesus Christ that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. But if, in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for Christ. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Father, we ask now that your Holy Spirit would open our eyes that we can see how powerful your grace is. That you'd open our ears so that we can hear just how wonderful your grace is. That you would open our minds so that we can understand the intricacies of what your grace is all about and how that breaks down all types of barriers. And that you would open our hearts so that we would be a people that lives a grace-filled life. That you would be glorified in the process. We pray that no one would hear anything that I say, but only what it is that you want them to hear, that you need them to hear, that you want them to hear. And Lord Jesus, that you would receive every last bit of glory. It's in your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. So, verse 11. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Anytime you go to lunch, anytime that there's a lunchtime at a school, cafeteria, or whatever the place may be, there is lunchtime lingo going on. And the reason why I'm running with this lunchtime lingo is to give you a little bit of an understanding of why this is important. Because there's a background story going on here, and the setting is this, is that back in the first century, believers would enjoy a big meal after celebrating the Lord's Supper. It was called a love feast. They would get together because, keep in mind, they came from all over. They walked all these, from all these different areas, and they came together. The only time they saw each other was during this particular time of, of, of celebrating the Lord's Supper together. So afterwards, they, in, in essence, we sort of do that on the last Sunday of the month, except in the, in the summer. We'll start it up again where we do potlucks. So they would get together. They would have these great times. There would be laughter. There would be exchanging exchanging ideas and things like that. So that's what's going on here. And so what, what Paul is looking at and why he's so concerned about this is that fellowship is being broken down and it's being broken down by a church leader, by Peter, Cephas. All of a sudden, at this love feast, Paul began to notice that when certain people showed up, Peter was no longer associating with the Gentiles. It was a little issue, yet it showed a bigger problem. And one of the things I love about what happens here is how straightforward Paul is. I opposed him to his face. I invite you in your Bibles to turn back a number of pages. Go to Matthew chapter 18. And in Matthew 18, we see what is happening here with the people. And, 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 and Jesus knew that this was going to be an issue. And so what 
what Paul is doing here is what I like to call the Christian gossip diffuser. And I believe he got it from Jesus Christ of all places. Verse 15 of Matthew 18, listen to this. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen to even, the, even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or tax collector. Now, real quickly, people read that and they say, well, if they keep turning it down, then that means we get to treat them as a pagan or tax collector. So I, mean, I guess that means that we can really just go at them then. The problem with that is, how did Jesus Christ treat pagans and tax collectors? He loved them deeply. So, if you're thinking, well, we can just treat them horribly, Jesus says, "Uh uh-uh, you continue loving them. You continue caring for them. And what do I mean by the Christian gossip? What do I mean by Christian gossip? This makes us a little uncomfortable. Let me give you a definition of Christian gossip. Jamal, I need you to be praying for my daughter Heidi because Heidi right now is making some horrible decisions that she's not listening to me, she's not obeying what I'm trying to say. You need to be praying for Heidi. That is Christian gossip. Why? Because Jamal can't solve that problem. By me not asking simply for Jamal, hey, could you pray for me and my daughter Heidi? Leave it at that. But when we add in all these other details that are unnecessary, that's Christian gossip. And the sad truth of the matter is this. It happens a lot in churches. Well, I'm just asking for prayer. No, I'm going to push back on that. You're gossiping. Just because you're asking somebody to pray and then you add in, then it doesn't give you license to add in all this backstory. And here's another thing as far as gossip goes. If you're talking to a person who cannot help solve the problem, that's gossip. Paul is diffusing the gossip. Notice what he says here. He says, I opposed him to his face. Meaning, this is one-to-one. This is Matthew 18 stuff. I'm going to talk one-to-one to you, and if it doesn't work there, I'm then going to take it to the next level. And then if it doesn't work there, I'm going to take it to the next level. Why? Because unity is so important. And for Paul, he's addressing this issue because he knows if it doesn't get addressed, the division is going to continue. Folks, Christian gossip is devastating for a church. I've been doing this for a long time, and I've seen the damage that Christian gossip does. And folks, I'm here to tell you, we, FBC Salinas, we need to do a better job of not doing Christian gossip because it destroys people. It destroys the life of a church. And so we ask for prayer. We share, and Rob brought this up earlier, when we're asking for prayer concerns. Just let us know how we can be praying, and we're going to be praying about them. 
I promise you that. But adding the backstory to all this stuff is unnecessary. Am I making sense here? So that's what Paul's doing here. He's addressing this issue. And notice then what he says. He says, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. That's a powerful statement to make. Then he says, for before, and then he gives the the situation. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles, but when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. So all of a sudden, he's, he's noticing what Peter's doing. He's seeing that Peter is withdrawing, and he's addressing the issue. And the reason why he's addressing the issue is this. Relationships matter. They always matter. If people matter to you, then relationships matter to you, and caring for them matters to you. Well, John, it seems like he's, he's judging Peter here. You know what? He is. In your Bibles, flip back a few pages to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and listen to this. Paul says this, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 12. What business is it of mine to judge those outside of the church? The Corinthian church was having an issue with judging people that were not Christ followers. He says, listen, we need to knock that off. They're not Christ followers. But then what he says, look look at what he says. Are you not to judge those inside the church? We have a responsibility to hold one another accountable, those who are Christ followers. And that's what Paul's doing here. He's saying, listen, he's a brother in Christ. I have a responsibility to care for him. Folks, we need to hold one another accountable. Now, we need to have our hearts right when we go to hold somebody accountable. But this idea that that we can just do whatever we want and there are no consequences, we're part of the body of Christ. We have a responsibility to care for one another. We have a responsibility to live out these matters to live out our relationships. And then, to top it all off, verse 13, back in Galatians chapter 2. Look at this. The other Jews joined him, meaning Peter, in his hypocrisy, so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. Let that sink in for a few minutes. The one person who came to Paul's defense when Paul had this Damascus Road experience and no other Christ followers wanted anything to do with him, Barnabas comes alongside Paul and says, listen, we need, we need to invite this person in. Paul's life has changed. Paul is so struck by this issue of legalism that it, and what, what hit him, I think, very hard was his dear friend Barnabas was led astray. Folks, your sin, my sin, your sin, my sin, is not only your sin or my sin. Sin seeps. It seeps. Greg Oney shared with me a story. uh, He was at a church a few weeks ago, and the, the pastor said this, sin splashes. If you're near a pool and there's splashing going on, you're going to get wet. Your sin seeps. It, 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 it impacts other people's lives. It impacts marriages. It impacts parenting. It impacts friendships. Our, friends, our, our sinfulness, we want to sit there and say, well, it's only hurting me. No, it's not. It impacts other people. 
And the impact that it makes can be devastating. So this lunchtime lingo happens all the time. We have this issue, and Paul's addressing what he, what, he witnessed, what he was witnessing at their lunch times. And then he says this. Look at, verse, look at verse 14 in the middle of it. He said, I said to Cephas in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? Paul is calling Peter out. And he's saying this, you're living a double life. The double life always leads to a single problem, and that's this, hypocrisy. You're treating the Gentiles like this when your Jewish, brother, when your Jewish Christ-following brothers are not around, and then when they show up, all of a sudden you're treating them like they're horrible people. The double life. What Paul's saying is we need authenticity. We need to address this issue. We need to be solely focused. And Paul's not done. Because he's addressing the lunchtime lingo, but then he's also addressing this, the lunchtime access. We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. Let's talk about this access. Because Jesus Christ has made it possible for all to go through the limbo. Because he's the one that made it possible. He's the one that fulfilled every rule possible, every law possible. He did it all. He did it beautifully. But before that happened, there was an ugly history of Jews and Gentiles. An ugly history. And it pretty much can boil down to two, two items. The first item is this. Jews believed that they were the only people that mattered to God. They said, we're the chosen people. Nobody else matters. It's all about us. God loves us. Right? You hear people talk about the Jewish people and, and from the Old Testament time, they're God's chosen people. That's true. They were chosen by God, but here's the thing. They were chosen by God to show to the world who the real God is. God has always been a fan of all of humanity, not just a portion of it. So the Jews thought they were the only ones who mattered to God, and the Gentiles were always considered to be sinful or dirty, meaning there could be no interaction with them. If you touch or you interact with a Gentile, you yourself are becoming dirty. And so there was this, there was this very stark, solid line separating Jews from Gentiles. Jesus Christ comes on the scene and abolishes the line. Not just abolishes it, he destroys it, he obliterates it. Because lunchtime access means everybody has access to God. I'm the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's for everybody. He provides that type of access. 
And so what he's saying to, to Peter is this. Listen, you can have your history. I get the history between Jews and Gentiles. But Jesus Christ came on the scene, and that history, yes, it's, it's there. But it makes what Jesus Christ did so magnificent, and now it's a struggle. It's a struggle for the first century Jews who are placing their trust in Jesus Christ as Messiah to then who've been, and Rob pointed this out about circumcision last week, for some reason there wasn't any long line of people saying, hey, I'd like to be circumcised, you know, to become a Christian, to become a Christ follower. The reason why is because the grace of Christ comes into play and makes access possible for everybody. So these Jews are going, wait a second, we had to be circumcised. How do these Gentiles get away with it? They're not happy about it. But Jesus Christ provides access. What he did makes access to God for everybody possible. Know that a person is not justified by the works of the law. This is the first time that Paul uses the word justified. If we believe this to be true, that Galatians is the first book that Paul wrote, this is the first time Paul wrote the word justified. This word means everything. So justification 101, so we hear this word, are you justified in Jesus? And I want to address this issue of justification. What it means, and here's a, de- here's a definition for you so that, we're, so that we're on the same page. It's this, to be declared righteous before God to enjoy a status or standing of being in a right relationship with God, and get this part, of being accepted by him. To be justified means that we're now in good standing with God. We used to not be in good standing with him. The Gentiles were not in good standing with him. The Jews who did not place their trust in Jesus Christ were not in good standing with him. But because Jesus Christ comes on the scene and did what he did, now all of a sudden we have a right standing with God. We are justified. Not because of anything we did. Notice what Paul says here. Not justified by the works, but justified by Jesus Christ justified by the one who came to do what needed to be done. And notice what he says here in the latter part of verse 16. He says, so we, and notice the line, we too. He uses the word we. He's saying to Peter, I get where you're coming from because I was there. I was that Jew that was on the fast track. I was doing everything necessary. Peter, you were on the inside circle. You got what, what, what this, this Judaism thing was all about. You were moving t- forward too. But you know this and I know this. Jesus Christ changes lives. And his grace is real. He says, so we too have put our faith in Jesus Christ. He doesn't say we put our faith in our works, but in Jesus Christ. That we may be justified by faith. No one is justified on their own, and everybody is justified by placing their faith in Jesus Christ. He makes access available. He makes access a reality. And then some people were thinking, wait a second, this can't, no, 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 that's not fair. That's not right. Because what you're saying, Paul, is this, is that now we can just go ahead and do whatever we please. We can go ahead and sin to to our heart's content. 
And Paul addresses that issue in verse, 16, in verse 17. He says, But if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? What he's saying is, you're going to hang out with Gentiles. It does not make you a sinner. You're going to hang out with people that you once thought were dirty, but they've been justified in Christ. And then he says this, does Christ promote sin? By God's grace, that means, Paul, what you're saying is we can do whatever we want. We can treat people however we want. We can do sin. And Paul's saying, absolutely not. It makes absolutely no sense. God's grace always leads to life, not death. Sin always leads to death. God's grace always leads to life. It makes no sense if we're saved by grace that all of a sudden we just say, well, I'm just going to go ahead and sin. That's not what's happening here. As grace transforms our lives, we move in a direction of life, not death. And then Paul's not done because there's lunchtime learning that needs to happen as well. Verse 19, for through the law I died to the law so that I might live for God. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Count how many times I or me shows up in these few verses. This is the number you'll get, 10. All of a sudden, Paul says, I'm going to talk about me now. Because I'm constantly learning. And, and, and Christ followers have a new what I call identity. And I put the I in quotes. This isn't going to be on the screen, but I think this is worth knowing and worth thinking about. Because of what Jesus Christ did and because you placed your trust in Jesus Christ, your identity is new. Hear me on this. You are not who you think you are. You are not who you think you are. You are who God thinks you are. That's your identity. That's what Paul's saying here. I'm no longer my own person. I now am God's person. You are no longer, once you say yes to Jesus Christ, you are no longer who you think you are. You become, you are who God thinks you are. And I will tell you this, his opinion of me is a whole lot higher than anybody else's opinion of me. And that holds true for every single one of us. We are no longer who the world says we are. We are who God says we are. Your life is not your own. Your life is not your own. It means that he's the one who's doing this. Look what he says here. He says, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. Well, Paul, how's that possible? You're still living. You're still writing. You're still interacting with us. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the fact that whatever he does now in life is for God, not for himself. And so him addressing this issue with Peter is so essential because he knows that if he doesn't address this issue, the work of God's grace will come to an end in Galatia. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me 
and gave himself for me. He loved me and he gave himself for me. I don't know about you, but it's a whole lot easier for me at times to think that Christ loves other people than he loves me because I know how dark and sinful I am. Does that make sense? It's a whole lot easier for me to believe that he loves Adam Matthew than it is for me to believe that he loves me. But here's the point. And by the way, Adam Matthew's an okay guy. He's not exactly my favorite person to be around, but he's okay. Because Rob's my favorite person to be around. No. Here we go. That'll, call, that'll be a nice staff meeting on too. I'm so looking forward to that. That's going to be a lot of joy. Never mind. This is what happens when I go off script. But here's my point. You know your sinfulness far better than anybody else does. You don't know other people's sinfulness as well as you know your own. And it's real easy to think, well, he can love them because they're not as bad as I am. Folks, if that's your line of thinking, I understand that. Because I live there a lot too. But one of the things that I'm learning over time is this. Is that Jesus Christ really does love me. He really does care for me. He really does want the best for me. Just as he wants the very best for everybody. His grace is powerful. His grace reaches in. His grace says, I'm not done with you yet. And that's what Paul's driving at here. And I love what he says in verse 21. I do not set aside the grace of God. I do not set aside the grace of God. God's grace has its place. And that place is front and center in our lives. Because when we set aside God's grace, you know what's going to happen? We're going to start thinking that legalism and rules and all these other things are more important than God's grace. God's grace must be front and center in the way we interact with one another. You heard Owen earlier, one of the rules that he has is that he is to listen to God. We need to listen to God. We need that grace to be in our lives all the time, informing all that we do. Because when we do that, we grow in our appreciation for what God has done for us, and we then see humanity differently. So how do we go about doing that? Let me just give you a line, and then I'll fill it in. This is your homework, if you want to call it that. You need, we need, to keep telling ourselves the gospel every single moment of every single day. What is the gospel? Let me give you the three things. First off is this. I'm a sinner. Second is this. Jesus Christ died for me and rose from the dead for me. And number three, I am his. When you find yourself beginning to treat people poorly, when you find yourself beginning to think that you don't matter, when you find yourself getting more and more wrapped up in rules and, and legalism and things like that, you need to stop and say the gospel. Jesus Christ came to rescue people, 
good people, bad people, and different people. He came to rescue people. And when we tell ourselves the gospel and say, I'm a sinner, Jesus died for me and rose from the dead for me, and I am his, everything changes. And that's what Paul's saying to Peter. Tell yourself the gospel, Peter. And that's what he's saying to us this morning, FBC Salinas. Tell yourselves the gospel. And when you tell yourself the gospel, your life will be changed. And people's lives around you will be changed. Why? Because God's grace changes lives. Father, we pray as we contemplate these words, we would ask that your gospel, your grace, would sink deeply into our lives in such a way that we are willing to be held accountable, that we're willing to be confronted, that we're willing to hold others accountable and help them see God's grace. And Lord, forgive us for the many times in our lives when we've tried to put people through a limbo. Have mercy on us. And Lord, we pray that as you set us free from the limbo, that you would continue to use us to help other people see how you want to set them free as well. Holy Spirit, do your work and lead us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we're going to sing a couple more songs. And as uh, the worship team gets ready, I want to invite you to use this time as they get ready to, to reflect on what God's grace is all about. To reflect on how his, how his grace has changed your life and how he wants to use you to share that grace with other people's lives and have their lives changed as well. All right, so let's stand and let's sing.